Welcome everybody to another episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. I'm Adam Skirko, as always joined by Jake Miller. And Jake, it is a beautiful, beautiful day to be a champion. A fantasy football champion. I won our league, blew out our buddy Colton by, what, 31? It, he didn't even crack 100. And that, I'll admit, that felt pretty good. Especially with the fact that Josh Allen couldn't throw worth a shit and yet still got two rushing touchdowns, which really contributed to the blowout. Yeah, it really did. Just <clears throat> whenever it's kind of like, usually you in regular season for fantasy, it's kind of like, okay, you're still one of the top guys because we actually know what the hell we're doing. But as soon as it's like, you get fucking lucky. With, yeah. like, your opponent just either having his guys suck ass, because Colton's guys sucked ass this week. Yes, they <clears throat> did, and it made me very, very happy, especially because Arthur Smith doesn't know what the fuck to do with B. John Robinson, and it makes me very happy. But, Jake, enough about fantasy, even though I'm still going to be riding that high all the way into next year. We're going to start things off with our Eyes on 5 recap, as per usual, and Jake, we sucked this week. I told you we straight up. Did. I told you straight up right after the podcast. I told you I really didn't like my picks. To be honest, I wanted to swap all of them but Ravens Dolphins. But alas, I made the picks. I went one and four. You fared a little bit better at two and three, but overall, we sucked. But we're going to start off with the game that you won against me in the head-to-head, -head, and that is the Raiders-Colts, Las Vegas falling to Indianapolis 23-20. to And Jake, this was one of your games. What were your thoughts on it? You kind of said it best that if Aiden O'Connell gets hot, they will have a damn good shot at winning this. They almost fucking won this. Aiden played clean. 30 for 47, 299 passing and two touchdowns with zero picks. And he was accurate with the ball and distributed it to Devontae, getting 126 off 13 catches and two touchdowns. Zamir White showed pretty good in the receiving game, and he, he only averaged 3.5 a carry on 20 attempts. But, I mean, you can live with that, especially against this run defense. The sack department, not really that great. I think it's kind of like... Their defense held them fairly well, but they just could not get home because Adam Butler, one of their interior guys, got only was the only one with a sack. Um, this Raiders team just could not stop the run game for the Colts because Jonathan Taylor went off for twenty one for ninety six and a touchdown. Mitchu did good enough to win against a middling team at this point, fifteen for twenty three. So. About two-thirds, about 224 in a touchdown, no picks. He had that bomb to Alec Pierce, so he is definitely showing that he's willing to go to Pierce more and more, especially on those deep shots. Because you remember, he did go three for 100 earlier in the year to Pierce. And, I mean, the sack department for the Colts defense... Only two, but Buckner got in there, and Tyquan Lewis also got there in the sack. Zaire Franklin and EJ Speed, their linebacking core, just played like a bat out of hell, getting 12 sacks and or 12 tackles for Speed, and 
10 for Franklin, who I believe is the leading tackler for the NFL this season at this current moment. Just the Raiders just couldn't stop the first downs for this team against the Colts. And I think what really hurt them was only being one, only five for 15 on third down. And the Colts were six for 13. Not great, but still better than one third. They both, the thing that really kind of sums it up, two or 74 total plays versus 53. They just couldn't get anything going on that Raiders. Only five yards per play and versus 6.6 for the Colts. Yeah, and Jake, this was an interesting game in that it was really clean overall. Not a single turnover in this game. And not to mention, Jake, a combined three sacks for both teams. Two for the Colts, only one for Las Vegas. And Jake, the reason why I picked the Raiders in this game was because of the fact that I liked the overall team of Las Vegas over Indianapolis. Because as much as I like Michael Pittman, I trust more in Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers for that matter. And Devontae, hey, 13 for 126 and two touchdowns off of 21 targets. They Aiden O'Connell, he knows where his bread's buttered. He is going to force it to Devontae, and he's also going to feed Jacoby Myers. He had 10 targets as well. The rest of the team, Jake, combined for 15 targets. Those two guys, 31. I think, Jake, what if the Raiders can take anything from this game and sort of this season as a whole, Antonio Pierce needs to be the guy that they hire as their coach. They need to just knock the interim off of there because of the fact that he this team believes in him and Mark Davis made this mistake last time with Rich Bisaccia. The players believed in him, but he wanted to get a big name. He wanted to get a big fish. He went out, got Josh McDaniels, and, well, we saw how that lasted because he got canned and none of the players liked him. Now, Zamir White, Jake, he's he's okay, but to be honest, if I'm the Raiders, I wouldn't be surprised, Jake, if they look in the draft for a running back because of the fact that I don't know if Josh Jacobs really has much left in the tank because he's gotten hurt a lot this year. And when he was healthy, he was not effective at all. As far as the Colts go, though, Jake, the fact that Shane Steichen has this team in position to win the AFC South with Gardner Minshew, the man who basically looks like Uncle Rico, a man who lives in a bus in the offseason. This is the guy that has the chance to be a division winner. Anthony Richardson, Jake, when he went down, most people thought that this team was absolutely cooked, myself included. I really didn't have any faith in the Colts. But what we're seeing, Jake, is Shane Steichen being an offensive coach. Offensive coaches with backup quarterbacks have made them viable. I mean, you look at Flacco and Kevin Stefanski. You look at Brian Dable and Tommy DeVito. He was looking good for a little while. Tyrod Taylor has looked well. I mean, it's just one of those things, Jake, that I think that when Anthony Richardson does come back next year, we're going to see a massive growth for this offense because Jonathan Taylor, 
he's locked up. Now, Alec Pierce, Jake, he is primarily a deep ball specialist. I mean, he only got one target, and it was on that deep ball, and he came down with it for that touchdown. But overall, Jake, I think Josh Downs, the fact that he only had two targets as a whole, that's not what I want to see. I would rather see you target your young rookie receiver who you have shown trust in and who has rewarded you for that, Jake. Remember, he did have a game where he had five catches, 125 yards, and a touchdown, and they probably should have won that game against Cleveland. Now, Michael Pittman, Jake, I think that he's going to probably be back next year as well, being that he is sort of your strong-handed possession guy, he's your tough guy, and we've seen that both Gardner Minshew and Anthony Richardson, when he was healthy, they had a report. And you are right. Zaire Franklin currently leads the league in tackles with 170 in total, two ahead of second place being, you know, C Seattle Seahawks legend Bobby Wagner. But overall, Jake, I think Indianapolis definitely has a chance to, I don't know if they can make noise in the playoffs, but if they do make it into the playoffs by winning the division, I don't know if I would want to play them. They are going to be one of those teams that's kind of like, depending on who they match up against, it could be a nightmare scenario because the Colts could be a matchup nightmare because they have an explosive run game. They have a solid defense. They can stop the run. They got three good receivers in Pierce, Downs, and they have their alpha in Pittman. And as long as Minshew can play mistake-free football, eh, Uncle Rico could win a playoff game. Indeed. But, Jake, we're going to move on to my first game. And it was a primetime game. And this is a game, Jake, that we both were dead wrong on. And that was Green Bay and Minnesota. The Packers blowing out the Vikings 33-10. to And, Jake, this is a game that... I think I trusted Jaron Hall more than Jordan Love because in the limited action that we saw Jaron Hall, he was moving the ball quite well and he was very efficient before he got knocked out against the Packers, actually. And he ended up getting benched because he just didn't have that magic and he wasn't challenging this defense down the field. Now, Nick Mullins did come in and he played all right, 13-22 for 113 and a touchdown, but, Jake, the game was out of hand by halftime. Jordan Love played very exceptional. 24-33, 256, three touchdowns, no picks, didn't get sacked, and he also contributed a rushing touchdown. But, Jake, I think what really was more important in this game than how Jordan Love played was how this running game was happening. You had 39 total rushes, for 177 yards and a touchdown. Aaron Jones, he finally looked like the star that we think of him as. 20 carries, 120 yards. And, not to mention, Jake, he did contribute a catch for 10. And, Jake, I I just want to ask you this. Who the hell is Bo Melton? This guy came <laughs> oh. out. He came out of nowhere. Six for 105 and a touchdown. And he led the team in targets with nine. Jaden Reed, he had a great game too, 6 for 89 and 2 touchdowns off of 8 targets. But Jake, 
when you think of this team, we always hear about Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson. We hear about Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. We've heard about Luke Musgrave when he was healthy. Bo Melton? Definitely not something that I expected. And before I let you go, Jake, Green Bay's defense also played very, very well. They got after the Vikings quarterbacks. They got four sacks on them, and they were able to get a pick. And not to mention, Jake, this team just as a whole... Oh, and they also stripped Jaron Hall. But, Jake, this team as a whole, I don't know if they can win a playoff game, but what I will say is this. When I look at the Green Bay Packers, I see a team that is incredibly young. Definitely, I would say they're a year ahead of schedule if they were to make the playoffs. Now, we'll talk about that a little bit later when we pick our games. But overall, Jake, I think for the Vikings, where do you go from here? Because... You need, you don't necessarily need a running back. Ty Chandler has played pretty well. I don't know if Justin Jefferson sticks around though, Jake, because if he does not have a consistent quarterback, dare I say, you might have to bring back Kirk Cousins. Oh, I don't know. A kind of a off season thing that I think is a hot take is I think we're going to see Justin Fields go to the Vikings and Oh. Fields with Jefferson and Kevin O'Connell gets a fresh quarterback who can run his system. You can implement a new threat with the with Fields legs. I'll save that for when later in podcast season when we get to the offseason. But you talked about Bo Melton. He was actually drafted by your Seattle Seahawks in 2022 in the seventh round. And we snagged him off your practice squad. And I remember thinking, like, okay, when Seattle drafted him two years ago, he could be, (laughs) we could be, (laughs) he could be a good four or a five because he was fast. He had good hands. It's just he wasn't the featured target at Rutgers. And Rutgers is a smaller college, so he didn't get a lot of praise. But he was a good guy in college. But. Bo Melton's emerged as a solid number four for us and an emergency three that could play like an emergency emergency three because that's what he played like because Romeo Dobbs was covered up. Jane Reed went off for six catches, 89 yards and two touchdowns. And Bo Melton just said, fuck you. I'm here and I'm going to stay here. So the guy did really good. Jane Reed, in my opinion, is playing like mm, the fourth or third best rookie wide receiver this year behind, obviously, Puka, number one, Jordan Addison, number two, and Tank Dell would be the only guy I consider ahead of him so far. And Tucker Craft, he's showing why we picked him after we picked Luke Musgrave and Jane Reed. He is a damn good tight end number two, and he can be a spot starter when Musgrave is injured. But you said it best. It was nice to finally have Aaron Jones fully healthy again. And Jordan Love is now over 30, is is at 30 touchdowns for the season. Not including rushing. If you include rushing, I think he's at about 33 or 34. But Nick Bones just came in because Hall couldn't get anything going. 
50% accuracy rate, 67 yards, and only one touchdown. Mullins, he played okay. He was just kind of there to play safe. You really couldn't get anything going, and I agree with you. If Justin Jefferson doesn't have a consistent quarterback to throw to him, I don't. I wouldn't blame him if he demanded to be traded because he's the best wide receiver in football, if not a number two, top two. And, I mean, shit. I can't blame him if he wanted to go. But we, you, we did both pick it wrong. We both thought the Vikings would have enough oomph to kind of push pack the pa- push past the Packers and kick the Packers out of playoff contention. But Packers win this week. They are in. And if you kind of look at the team stats, the big story was third down efficiency. Nine for 14 for the Packers and three for 10 for the Vikings and 13 first downs for the Vikings and only 20 and 28 first downs for the Packers. Total plays... 73 to 52 time of possession was was mean 37 and a half minutes versus 22 and a half minutes Packers just dominated on every side of the ball whether it be defense passing rushing or how efficient they were with the ball it was just a one-sided ass ass kicking and we didn't see it we didn't expect it to be that way no we didn't but yeah moving on to a, another game that we got wrong is mine is my second game, which was the Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Seattle Seahawks, and Steelers won it 30 to 23. Mason Rudolph kept up a clean game. He's re- showing that he is the hot hand right now, quarterback. 18 for 24, 274, no touchdowns, but those went to the dynamic running back duo of Najee Harris and Jalen Warren. These guys had 40 attempts for almost 200 yards. It was 197 yards. So you're talking about five yards a carry almost. And they had three total touchdowns. George Pickens was a phenomenal, like we thought he would be. Seven for a buck 31. Deontay Johnson, four for 76. Fryermuth didn't get too much action, but three for 44. The thing that I find funny is Rudolph only hit four guys. Pickens, Johnson, Fryermuth, and Warren. And they did what they had to do. They controlled the clock. And because looking at time of possession, 33 and a half minutes again versus 22 and a half. And if you look at the Seattle side, like, Gino played a pretty clean game. Almost 70% completion rating, 290 yards and a touchdown. He even chipped in 33 yards on the ground. DK had a good game, but finally over 100 yards again. Noah Fant did pretty good, 5 for 59. And Jackson Smith and Jigba got one catch, but it was for a touchdown. I think Devin Bush played out of his fucking mind. He was all over the ball. He had 18 total tackles. He was showed he showed off against his former team. And Leonard Williams had a sack and constantly was showing why Big Cat Williams was there and why they traded a second-round pick for him. Just, he couldn't contribute in stopping the run game, which is his specialty. Just overall, the game was close, if you look at the metrics. It's just time possession, and the rushing attack for the Steelers just constantly kept kept the Seattle Seahawks on their heels. Well, Jake, 
I'm going to actually shock you, and I'm going to say this. This really wasn't all that close of a game because this game came down to tackling. There's a reason why they ran it 46 times in total, Jake, for 202 yards and three total touchdowns. Seattle couldn't tackle anyone. They got so ball-happy and tried to just strip everything that you had Najee Harris moving a pile from the three into the end zone. Virtually all by himself. You had Jalen Warren, who averaged 5.8 yards a carry and looked like a bruiser when that's really not what he is. He's He can run through between the tackles, but he's more of a bounce-it-to-the-edge guy. And then you look at Seattle, Jake. This game became... Because of the poor tackling, they ended up getting down. You have Geno having to throw the ball 33 times, and you only run it 15 in total. Now, Kenneth Walker, he did not run it all that great. I know he averaged 5.3 a carry, but it wasn't all that impressive. A lot of his runs were short. His longest was 13. Now, Geno, like you said, Jake, he was very efficient. I mean, he had a passer rating in this game of almost 107. And he he was asked to do more, and he stepped up admirably. But even still, Jake, I mean, DK, even with how well he played, and Noah Fant played well too, but Tyler Lockett was quiet. Five targets, and he had one catch. And then, Jake, you cannot turn the ball over against this team. Nick Herbig made an incredible strip and he ended up recovering the ball and that sort of was the telltale sign of it that one turnover basically ended the game early on because seattle's not built to come from behind they are a team that maybe they're down by three and they come back and win but there were times, Jake, they were down by 10. They were down by 7. They were down by at least a touchdown for the majority of this game. And what we've seen is this team, if they get down, they kind of quit. Now, Devin Bush, like you said, he played extremely well. 18 total tackles. Same with Julian Love and Bobby Wagner with 14 total tackles each. But Jake, when you have that many guys... When you have three guys making a combined 46 tackles, that's letting you know that there's a lot of broken tackles and you're relying on three guys to make up for an entire team's worth of mistakes. Now, overall, Jake, Seattle, they still have a chance of making the playoffs. I think Pittsburgh, if they win, they're in. But I don't know, Jake. I think with Seattle... As a Seahawks fan, there's part of me that kind of hopes they don't make it into the playoffs because at this point, you're probably going to be drafting anywhere from 13th to 17th. Why not be drafting 13th and you have a chance at maybe a Michael Penix or a Bo Nix? Because to me, Jake, Geno's good, but there's a reason why he was only signed for three years. You need... A rookie quarterback right now to reset the clock and to build around because right now this team's not anywhere near a Super Bowl contender at best I think they're one and done in the playoffs 
And Jake, I'm going to float this one more time. I mentioned it. I don't know if it was last podcast, but a week or two ago. I would not be surprised if DK Metcalf is a Kansas City Chief next year. I, As much as it would hurt me, keep an eye on the Chiefs making a phone call, maybe giving up a first or second for DK because Seattle needs picks. And even though they're young, they still need reliable tackles that aren't hurt. And they also need some interior help. They need a pass rusher. They need an actual full-on edge rusher. They need a blue chipper. And as much as we love Leonard Williams, he can't do everything on his own. I think DK for a first, then they go and get a pass rusher with one pick. They get a quarterback with another. I think it's going to be very interesting and depending on the outcome of the Packers Vikings, or excuse me, the Packers Bears, it's going to be interesting to see what Seattle does. But moving on to my second game, and Jake, we got this one wrong too. And that was the Chiefs Bengals Kansas City coming away with a 25 to 17 win. And Jake, this was a game that, to be honest, it was the Isaiah Pacheco show. 18 carries for 130 yards, and he had 7 catches for 35 yards and a receiving touchdown. This was a game, Jake, that I really looked at, and I think we both looked at it as a Kansas City Chiefs team that is reeling. They're probably going to be the third seed. They actually are going to be the third seed, and I think if Bills beat Miami... Miami is going to be taking a trip to Arrowhead, almost guaranteed. Um, but Jake, the Bengals are in are in an interesting spot because I look at them and I wouldn't be surprised if we see some big moves by them. I think that Sam Hubbard might be on the trading block because while he has played well, this team still needs to figure out the O line. Jake Browning got sacked six times. And Kansas City's defense is good, but I don't think they're that good. I mean, Jake, you you had Justin Reed. You had a DB with two sacks. He led the Kansas City Chiefs with sacks. A DB. I think that if I'm Cincinnati, when my first round pick... I'm trading up and trying to get a tackle because their pressure is coming off the edge. And when Browning or Burrow have had time, we've seen what has happened. Also, this running game, Jake, has played pretty well, but I don't know. I think they might move on from Mixon. He played okay, 21 carries for 65 yards. And he also contributed four catches and 22 yards and a receiving touchdown. Browning's only touchdown pass. But Jake, to me, this is more about Kansas City. This game did not reinforce any faith that I have in them to make it back to another Super Bowl. Rasheed Rice played well, five catches for 127 yards, and he was second in targets. But Jake, 
this team can't win without Travis Kelsey being Travis Kelsey. He had three catches for 16 yards. I think that this team... Would it be out of the realm of possibility, Jake, to see them one and done if they do face Miami? If they face Miami, because of how Miami has cracks, and if they get down, they are not known to come back against better teams. So Chiefs could face Miami and win that. But if you say they face somebody else... The Bills. Uh... If they the face the Bills, sixth. yeah, Bills could make them a one-and-done team. There are a couple of teams that could potentially face off against the Chiefs in the playoffs in the wild card, and I wouldn't like their odds against them. Like, Bills, like we talked about, um, it's like the only team that's coming to mind right now. The Brown, if they face the Browns, oh, the I would put money on the Browns beating the Chiefs in the playoffs. I would too. Like those are the those are the big two I think that I could see them facing because I wouldn't like their odds against either of them. But you mentioned trading Sam Hubbard. I could see that because you did draft Miles Murphy in the first round, and he has shown flashes, but. I think you keep Trey Hendrickson as like that veteran passer because he has 17 sacks on the season. He is tied for the league lead with TJ Watt. I think you have Miles Murphy become a starter opposite of Trey Hendrickson. You get an O-line in the first, and I think you get some interior pressure or another defensive back in the second round for that. If not, try to get a guy that can replace... Um, T. Higgins because hell, trade T. Higgins in your first round pick to trade to get up to get one of the I don't they would have to trade a lot to get Olufashanu or Joe Walt. But if you trade up into like the mid teens or late top ten pick, you could get the third best tackle in the draft. Or if Olu or Alt falls. Because of a run on wide receivers and quarterbacks, it's possible one could drop and you see them trade up, which, shit, I wouldn't mind. Because Orlando Brown is not it, man. <laughs> he is giving up quite a bit. And your right tackle, I don't like him, but he's serviceable. But you could see Orlando Brown being a cap casualty if you want to, if you try to keep both Jamar and Mixon in-house. Or Higgins and Chase in-house. And, hell, maybe you can get a running back in the second or third. I don't know. But the Chiefs played good. You said it best. Pacheco, it was the Pacheco show, really. And Rasheed Rice is coming on strong when they need him. Five for a buck 27, averaging 25.4 a catch. He is showing off his speed his route running, and his yak. And he's playing good. Just the thing that worries me with the Chiefs is 3 for 12 on third down. That is very worrying to me. 
But at the end of the day, they came up with the win. And let's see what happens come playoff time. If they can keep up seven yards per play, that's going to be a huge boon for them. Even though, Jake, they were almost out. They were almost outgained by 10 minutes in time of possession. You get down in time of possession against a team like Buffalo, like Cleveland, who like to lean on the run and keep Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines, that could spell one and done. But Jake, we're going to move on to our final game for our recap. And Jake, this was the shared game. This was the game that you and I both got right. But I don't think we expected it to be this way to get it right. Baltimore blowing out Miami 56-19. to Jake, this game, it was close in the first quarter. And then Baltimore exploded with a point run that we expect out of Miami. What were your thoughts on this game? Um, I figured we we both picked the Ravens to win this game. I didn't expect to be an ass whooping like this. I thought like Ravens win by a touchdown, maybe. So I was thinking like. 22-29 or 23-30 type. Not 56-19. Holy fuck. Lamar Jackson had five touchdowns to three incompletions. 321 yards and five touchdowns. 18 for 21. Perfect passer rating. Yeah. Uh, This is now the chuck it fuck it offense right now. If they face almost any team. Zay Flowers is kicking ass. Justice Hill was damn good in the run game. Only on three attempts, but 48 yards. He's not Keaton Mitchell, but Justice Hill has a good, he is a 4-4 guy. And 5 for 64 for a, for 12.8 averaging in the receiving game. That's damn good. And he got a touchdown on top of it. Isaiah likely only had two catches. Both for touchdowns and 42 yards. So, you can deal with that. And Charlie Kohler, the third string tight end. One catch, 19 yards, a touchdown. We even saw a rare Patrick Card receiving touchdown. <laughs> this game was just, what the fuck happened? Kyle Vanoy got a sack, Justin Matabuike, who we both talked about because of the interior pressure he would bring on Tua. He got a sack. Geno Stone now has seven picks on the year. He's going to get paid in the offseason. Roquan Smith got a pick as well. This game was a one-sided ass beating. And back to Justice Hill, I didn't even realize this. On the kick return side of things, he only had two attempts. 101 fucking yards. One of them for 78. Yeah. What the fuck? This man is just like the unsung hero for the Ravens right now. And we talked about Devon Aching. He went off. 14 for 107 for 7.6 yards a carry. 
we, he did damn good. He even chipped in on the receiving game for four receptions, 30 yards, and a touchdown. Like, Devon Achain had a damn good game. Just Tua just could not be safe with the ball, man. And don't get me wrong. He had to play hero ball here. Because when you're down by how much they were down going into the third quarter, uh, yeah, you're fucked. They contained Tyreek Hill very well. Six catches, 76 yards. And at the end of the day, the Ravens just keep beating the top dogs in the AFC and the NFC by blowing bitches out. Exactly. (laughs) It's just, they are the best team in the NFL. They established that after they beat the Niners. They go in and beat one of the top dogs in the AFC as well, and stop their explosive offense as well. Granted, they were out without Jalen Waddle, but they still had Tyreek Hill. So, fuck it. I'm not going to crown them Super Bowl champs because anything can happen in the playoffs. But, oh, dude, you're going to have an MVP quarterback with a dangerous run game, a DC that is playing out of his fucking mind right now, and you have wide receivers that are figuring their shit out. So, yeah, have fun. Oh, and they might even have Mark Andrews back for the playoffs. Yeah, and not to mention, Jake, what a lot of people seem to forget is this game was for the number one seed. Baltimore clinched the number one seed because of this win. And, yep. Jake, I want to go back to talking about Tua. The first pick that he had to Roquan Smith, what it really came down to was Tua had been moving got defenders with his eyes the entire time. He just stared down Cedric Wilson. And you want to talk about a phenomenal play? Roquan Smith reached back and speared that ball with one hand and never broke stride because Tua stared down Cedric Wilson. He doesn't stare him down. I think that's a completion. And you save a touchdown going into the second half. You're then maybe down only 21-13. Or at worst, you're down 21-17. And it's still a game. But Jake, I do want to also bring up, like you said, Devon Chen, 7.6 yards a carry off 14 carries. He was phenomenal when he got the ball in his hands i will caution this jake there are a couple teams in the afc that can run the ball we just saw the steelers run the ball albeit against a weaker seahawks defense than we expected but cleveland also has shown an ability to run the ball indianapolis can run the ball pretty well help the texans can occasionally run the ball with Devin Singletary, which I don't think anyone ever expected. I will caution that only, that Baltimore giving up 154 yards in the run game this late in the year, it's at least something. Nothing is everything, but everything is something. Now, also Jake, I do think that not having Jalen Waddle really did hurt because you can then roll coverage to Tyree Kill. And while he played okay, 6 for 76 off of 12 targets, it's not the same when you have a guy who you can bring 
where you can keep defenses honest. Because if you can just roll coverage to Tyree Kill, they do not have another receiver that you are threatened by. Durham Smythe is not an electric tight end. Cedric Wilson is a solid number three, but nothing special. Braxton Berrios is primarily a returner, and Robbie Chosen is just strange. But, Jake, I also do want to say Lamar's O-line definitely is not getting the credit that it deserves. In addition to allow giving them 160 yards on the ground with two rushing touchdowns, one to the immortal Melvin Gordon, which, shocker, Jake, he's on the Ravens. I think the Ravens are just trying to collect as many Pro Bowl running backs as they can because they also just now signed Dalvin Cook, what, a day ago? Not to mention, Jake, Lamar... He got sacked one time, and he had all day to throw. I mean, this defense for Miami wasn't even getting near them. Now, a big loss, Bradley Chubb tearing his ACL. Miami's defense is just banged up. You lose Jalen Phillips, now you lose Bradley Chubb. And not to mention, Jake, you also didn't even have... or No, you did have Javon Holland playing, but he was banged up heading into this game. On the Ravens side, though, Jake, I'm not crowning them as Super Bowl champions, but I think there's only one team that can beat them in the AFC, and that's Cleveland. Just because it's a divisional team, and it is the only team, I think, that can do anything against the Ravens. But even still, I don't see a team that can beat them in the NFC. Not even the Niners. Because I don't think the Niners, linebackers can keep up with Lamar Jackson's ability to extend plays and either take off with his legs or chuck it over their heads. That play that they ran to Zay Flowers, Jake, they basically just sent Zay Flowers in motion and then had him run up the seam, which is what Miami does with Tyree Kill, and he just runs right by the defender and then makes the last guy miss, walks into the end zone for a 75-yard touchdown. Now, exactly. Gus Edwards having a fumble, obviously you don't want that. Turnovers in the playoffs definitely is something concerning. But other than that, Jake, I mean, there's not really anything that you can critique about Baltimore outside of, I guess, the one thing that I also would be worried about with Baltimore is they did lose a lot of defensive backs in this game. Arthur Millette left for a little while. Um, I think Rocky Sin left. Daryl Worley was in. Jake, I think at one point you had Daryl Worley, Ronald Darby, and I think that was it in your back in your back end. Marlon Humphrey left for a little bit too. That is something to be concerned about if you do face a Miami again, or if you face a team like I don't know the Chiefs. Because we have, we are seeing Rasheed Rice emerge, but I mean overall, Jake, this was just a certified ass kicking. You know, you know, you're you won really well, Jake, when Lamar has a one fifty eight point three perfect pass rating, and Tyler Huntley comes in, throws one pass for a touchdown, and he also has a perfect pass rating as well as a perfect quarterback rating. I think this is the first time I've ever seen a one hundred quarterback rating. But, Jake, 
moving on from our eyes on five what we're going to do next is you brought this up in our pre-show we are going to look at the quarterbacks coming in to the draft this year or this upcoming draft and we're looking at the top six caleb williams drake may Jaden daniels michael Penix jr bo nix and jj mccarthy and jake we're going to say the teams that we think are the best matches for them so i'm gonna let you go first you're gonna where do you think caleb williams should go okay so for caleb williams i don't i think he would fit in any system because of how good of a prospect he is he can run any system whether it be a west coast a air raid a play action or run first team now i have him i don't have him going first overall i'll say that okay i think he i think his best fit would be with eric b enemy in on the commanders interesting i want him to go because all reports have said that chicago is keeping their head coaching in staff i don't want caleb to go to that team and get ruined because it took it looked like for two years justin was ruined until he came on this year and had a damn good year i want him to go to a team that actually can develop him and have a damn good head coach that is offensive coordinated that is Eric Bieniemy. Now, whether Bieniemy gets a head coaching for the Commanders, that's up for debate. But I think that's a good pick for him. I have Jane Daniels as the first overall pick going to the Bears. Okay. Because he is the only true dual threat quarterback that is in the top three quarterbacks. You keep Jane Dan, you trade Justin Fields to whatever team. I have I want I think he goes to the Vikings, but that's just me. But you have a dual threat quarterback replacing a dual threat quarterback. You can if you're gonna keep your coaching staff, get a quarterback that is very similar to the one that you already had. You have five you have a fresh rookie contract and you have five years of control. If not more, depending on if franchise tags or franchise tags are a thing or not. So, I think Jaden Daniels with the Bears would be a good fit. I think Drake May to the Pat to the Patriots would be a good fit. And those are the top three, in my opinion. That's kind of like the top three most people have. I'll let you pick where these top three quarterbacks go, and then we can kind of get to like. Penix and Bo Nix and potentially even JJ if we wanted to go that far down well I like the idea but Jake I do think that Caleb Williams is going to the Bears unfortunately whether he likes it or not now he could pull an Eli Manning or a John Elway and just straight up say I'm not playing here trade me but to be honest with you I just don't know if the Bears would even listen and I don't know if Caleb would follow through on it. 
Now, I know that his father has mentioned a lot about maybe he should stay in school, but to be honest, Jake, I just think that the Bears are going to draft Caleb, and it's unfortunate, but that's probably what's going to happen. Now, I do think that if I'm Drake May, I would want... I, I don't know where I would necessarily want to go, but I do think that the Patriots are probably the most likely fit for him, being that he is prototypical size, he could deliver the ball accurately. Now, he does get a little wild with the ball, but you can coach that out of him a little bit, or at least minimize the wildness to him. And I think that it would probably be the Patriots because we are going to see Coach Belichick most likely moving on. And you could get a fresh offensive mind in there. Or there's a chance that Gerard Mayo ends up taking over as the head coach. I just don't know, though, if that's enough to disrupt Drake May. Because we do have to look at D'Amico Ryans in Houston. He got a good offensive coordinator. And we saw how that worked out for C.J. Stroud. So I think May to the Patriots is probably the most likely fit there. And then for Jaden Daniels, Jake, I do think that he will most likely go to the Commanders. I think Eric Bieniemy having a dual threat quarterback, maybe not the level of Patrick Mahomes, but being able to move around and deliver the ball accurately, I think that will benefit him a lot more. And overall, I just think that Jalen Daniels, or Jaden Daniels, excuse me, would just make more sense there over Caleb Williams. But Jake, we'll move on to the next three. Penix, Knicks, and J.J. McCarthy. Where do you think they are going? So, the big three are off the board at this point. Number four at that point would obviously be Marvin Harrison. Then you have the next quarterback team, in the Giants. I really don't think the next three guys up deserve to be a top five pick. So I think they draft Malik Neighbors or Roma Dunze at number five at that point and just ride it out with Daniel Jones, then release his sorry ass, then get a quarterback in next year's draft. So then you look, Titans... Seems like they're going to sit to Will Levis, so they'll probably get a receiver or a tackle. The Jets, they're going to be too stubborn, so I think they're going to probably get a weapon or a tackle to protect Rodgers. Falcons. This could be a spot where we see Michael Penix go. And I do have Penix going to the Falcons. I think that he matches their system. He's accurate with the ball. He's not a dual threat, but he can run, and he his pocket mobility is fairly good. His pocket sense is good, and I think he with that good that good offensive line that is fairly young, except for Jake Matthews, you can work with a lot with a guy like Michael Penix. Then. The, Ra the Bears at 10, obviously, they're not picking a quarterback because they have Caleb at that point or Jaden in my book. Then the next two would be the Raiders and the Vikings. 
I think you see Bo Nix go to one of these guys. I don't think you see JJ fall. I think you see JJ go a little bit further down. And I think Raiders will either get a quarterback in the draft or they're going to get one through trade or through free agency. I think the Vikings will either, like I said, with me, they're getting Justin Fields. So they're out for me. But who knows what they get. I think the Saints are going to stubbornly stick with Carr because of his contract. I think you're going to see McCarthy go to the Broncos. He matches their type of system. He has a big arm. He's good size. He can hit a receiver pretty good. And you have weapons there. And... They're going to get rid of Russ. We all think that. So that's kind of like where I see those three guys going. So I'm actually going to disagree with your Falcons pick. I do think that, in my opinion, I think Justin Fields in Atlanta is just too perfect of a matchup. I think Atlanta's going to go for Fields, and I do think they're going to get him. And so because of that, I do think, Jake, I'm not ruling out the Giants taking a quarterback, but I don't think they take one in the first round. So then I would go with the Raiders. I do think that the Raiders would be more than likely to get either Michael Penix or Bo Nix, but I think it'll be Bo Nix. And the reason why I think that, Jake, is what we've seen with the quarterbacks that the Raiders have had is a lot of accuracy issues. Bo Nix is probably the most accurate quarterback, I would say, in this draft. He is big, and he's he can move around a little bit, and I do think that he is a lot better at distributing the ball to guys like Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers. I just think that fit makes just too much sense, in my opinion, then for the Vikings, I do think that they will probably take Penix. And I think they want a guy who has a little bit more mobility. Penix does have that. And he probably throws the prettiest ball. He probably throws the tightest spiral and the most catchable ball in this draft. I think that they're going to want more mobility because, Jake, you have to remember the last quarterbacks that they've had were Sam Bradford, Case Keenum, and Kirk Cousins. They need a guy that can run around and make off-schedule plays because they just haven't had that. And then I do agree, I think Denver gets J.J. McCarthy because what Sean Payton is very, very adamant about getting is a guy who just runs the play that he calls. Nothing more, nothing less. What drives him nuts about Russ is that he can scheme things open, but because Russ is either facing pressure off the rip or he doesn't see anything open, even if there is someone open, he instantly goes off of instincts and scrambles, which drives Sean Payton crazy. I think what we're going to end up seeing is J.J. McCarthy, who is probably more of a product of the environment around him, I think he's going to be able to be coached up a little bit by Sean Payton 
into a little bit better quarterback than he probably is. And with Cortland Sutton, and we'll see if Jerry Judy's there. But you, Jake, you have to remember, Tim Patrick is coming back. Now, we don't know how he will be, but I do think that if he is at all what he was before these last two injuries, that is definitely going to be a big help because he's a big physical receiver. And you also have Marvin Mims and Greg Dulcich has looked good. Adam Troutman has played well. I think JJ McCarthy goes to Denver. As much as it hates to say it, I don't know if my Seahawks can get one of the top six quarterbacks unless they trade up. So what I, I agree with everything you said. And, and it, the reason I didn't have fields going to Atlanta because you are right. It is a almost a perfect pick. I see it as a little too perfect, and the Falcons are probably going to fumble, in my opinion. But that's just me. You you said the Saints could get a quarterback in the later rounds. Is that what you said? No, I said the Giants could. The Giants. Because... So, sorry. So with the Giants, I think I have the perfect quarterback for them in the I'm later curious, rounds. I'm curious if it's who I think. Spencer Rattler out of South Carolina. Ooh. I think you get him in the third round. Maybe even trade up the late second round if you feel like he's going to go somewhere soon. And, I mean, he was hyped as a potential top five pick coming into this draft about a year and a half, two years ago. He was he had that kind of hype and that kind of talent. He'd stayed in school for another year. He's matured. He's grown as a human and as a man. And I think you're going to see him be like that third or fourth round quarterback that stays in the league for a long time. He's going to, I think he has potentially be a Kirk Cousins type. Now, I don't hate it, but that was not who I was thinking. I'm not ruling out Sam Hartman at North Dakota. Or Notre Dame. You mean Notre Dame? Yeah, Notre Dame. Sorry. There's a lot of NDs, it seems like. Mm -hmm. but not a lot of NDAs, Chris Jericho. Anyway, (laughs) um, but Jake, I do think that Sam Hartman would be more than likely a better fit because, I mean, you think about it, Jake, he's, he's been pretty solid throughout his entire career. He 24 touchdowns, eight interceptions this past year. And the last two years before, Jake, he had 38 touchdowns and 39. Now, his touchdowns were down, but so were his interceptions. Because in those previous two years, he threw a combined 26. 14 in 2021, 12 in 2022. I'm not ruling out Sam Hartman. He's 6'1", 212, a little bit on the smaller side. But just keep an eye on him. I think that the Giants might try and pick him up. But Jake, we're going to move on to our Eyes on 5 predictions, and this week is loaded because it is arguably my favorite week of the year, Jake, what I like to call rivalry week in the NFL because every team is playing a division rival, and there are a lot of these that have playoff implications. Jake, we're going to start off with your first game. What do you got? So my first game could decide an entire division and what three teams make what extra team gets a fifth or seventh seed. 
and or the 67th. And that is the Houston Texans versus the Indianapolis Colts. Now, this division is a lot more competitive than I think we both thought it would be. Bottom The Jags have faced Yes, the Jags have faced injury. Lawrence has not played like we thought he would. Peterson not making the best coaching decisions. And you have three teams in this division that are nine and seven. The Colts are hanging on. Shane Steichen deserves to at least be in top three for coach of the year voting, in my opinion. Same could be said for D'Amico Ryans in the Houston Texans. They are both having their teams play their asses off. And they are all three of these teams fighting for the division. Just so happens, two out of three are going against each other in Week 18. You have the explosive dynamic play of C.J. Stroud. You have a good enough running game with Damian Pierce as your power back and Devin Singletary coming out of nowhere and playing pretty damn good ball. Maybe even the best of his career, you could say, in the short spurts he is getting. You have a receiving core with Nico Collins leading the pack, Dalton Schultz as your safety blanket, Noah Brown as your solid number three. Now, Tank Dell being out for the rest of the year does hurt this team. But you have enough weapons around and you have Stroud playing like the next coming of fuck. Who can I can compare him to? The next coming of Andrew Luck. Let's go with that. And on the Colts side of things, you have a dynamic running game with Jonathan Taylor Zach Moss, Trey Sermon, you got a three, not a three-headed monster, but you got three running backs that can play, man. You got two and a half. You got an, yeah. You have an offensive line that has had some trouble being healthy throughout the year, but if they can get healthy for this game and going to the playoffs, they could be dangerous if they make the playoffs. Now, they have a solid defense. They have a good coaching staff. They have a good head coach in OC and DC. It all depends on what Gardner Minshew does. He's a gunslinger. He's going to throw the ball. And he's not the most accurate downfield, so he can't get picked. He's not the most mobile. Mobile. So if you got a pass rush, eh, you could get home. And he doesn't play well with pressure. Now, He's kind of like the opposite CJ Stroud. Now, Jake, I will say this. Looking at the injury report, Noah Brown and Jonathan Greenard are going to be out for the Texans. And also, Jake, you have Robert Woods, Larimi Tunzel, Will Anderson, Malik Collins, and Sheldon Rankins all questionable. Now for and Will Colts, Anderson. Yeah, Will Anderson. And Jake, the Colts, they also have Zach Moss, Braden Smith, Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson, and Kenny Moore, all questionable. 
three of your starting offensive <clears throat> linemen questionable. I do think that if they can play, they will. But at what cost, if you don't make it in and you do play your ass off, there's a chance that you might not have them for next game. Now, Jake, I think for this game, it's going to come down to the quarterbacks. You have Gardner Minshew, who is a veteran. Like you said, though, he is a gunslinger. He can win you and lose you games. And then you have CJ Stroud, who, while inexperienced, we have seen play extremely well. Now, we do have to remember, this is going to be now two weeks removed from being out of concussion protocol, so he should be better. I do think that Noah Brown being out is a bit of a loss, but he hasn't had him for a lot of the year. But it's going to be the Nico Collins show, and... If Kenny Moore doesn't play, then that does give me a little bit more hope that the Texans do come away with the win here. Now, the Colts, they haven't been world beaters at home. They're 500 at in Lucas Oil Stadium, but the Texans are 3 and 4 away. At least something to consider. Now, Houston is favored by 1 and a half. I think if it was me, I would probably take the Texans minus one and a half just because of the fact that I do think that overall the Texans have the better quarterback and we've seen that CJ Stroud under pressure can perform. We don't know that for sure with Gardner Minshew. Now, Jake, moving on to my first game. Um, This game is also going to potentially decide a division and who the two seed will be playing or excuse me who the five seed will be playing and that is the falcons and the saints now jake this division is what we expected the afc south to be the falcons honestly i don't know what they're doing because there are weeks where arthur smith looks like he knows what he has as far as offensive weaponry with B. John Robinson, Drake London, Kyle Pitts. And then there are some days where he thinks that Jonu Smith and Tyler Algier are the second comings of Emmett Smith and Shannon Sharp. They're far from it. Now, I do think, Jake, the Falcons are going to be drafting a quarterback or they get Justin Fields. I do think that they get Justin Fields because Desmond Ritter is not the answer. And I think you're, you have uh, Taylor Heineke playing in this game. Now, we've seen him catch magic before, but I don't know if they can do this against the Saints, who are at home. They are 4-3 and three at home, as opposed to the Falcons, who are 2-6 and six outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And Jake, Derek Carr has been an absolute disappointment. We'll call him what he is. And Chris Olave has not exploded like we thought he would. He has gone over a 1,000 yards, but there are games, Jake, where he has been completely absent. I think overall, Jake, this is a game that it's going to basically come down to which coach makes more mistakes. It's not so much a Falcons-Saints game. It's an Arthur Smith versus Dennis Allen. Two coaches who might be getting pink slips at the end of the year. And 
the Saints are favored by three, Jake. I, I wouldn't even touch this game. I have a rule that I just don't... If I were betting, I'm not betting Atlanta Falcons games because the Falcons, they're just way too screwy. They don't, they don't have necessarily any consistent pattern. Their consistency is unpredictability. And I think that that'll carry over in this game because if you were to ask me to pick a winner, I honestly have no clue. But what do you think? This game, I think you said it best. <clears throat> it's not really roster against roster. It's head coach against head coach. Dennis Allen versus Arthur Smith. <clears throat> if Arthur Smith at least used the fucking weapons he had and used them right, this team would have won the division. But no, Arthur Smith has his head up his ass and is pissing off every analyst, every NFL fan, every fantasy owner, and just like, motherfucker, you are fighting for your job. But you are not using the weapons you have. Teams would kill for the weapons he has and the O-line he has. The front office, I like the front office. Hate that man, though. That is the head coach for the Falcons. The Saints. Dennis Allen is good at calling a defense. Offense, though, uh, your OC, something Carmichael, I don't know his first name off the top of my head. Fire his ass into the sun. You have talent on this offense. You have a strong O-line. You have a middle-tier quarterback in, De in Derek Carr. Let's go with that. You have a dynamic running back in Alvin Kamara. You have a decent tight end room, not a great. You got good receivers. Michael Thomas, when healthy, but when is he ever healthy, is good. Chris Olave is looking like a fucking fantastic receiver, potentially top 10. Um, Where do you go wrong with this? It's You're using your weapons, but you're not using them to the full potential. You're having Derek Carr do two-yard catches consistently to your running backs, and mostly to Kamara. And it's getting Kamara hit and hit often, and you're not getting a lot of yards out of it. This dink and dunk offense, you need to spread it out. If Carmichael actually pulls his head out of his ass, they have a good chance of winning, because I think I like the Saints' defense going against the Atlanta Falcons' offense more than... The Saints defense going against, or the Falcons defense going against the Saints offense. But at the end of the day, you said it. We both you said it best, and I'll just re-say it again. It's which head coach wants to keep their job the most. It that's really what it comes down to, and not to mention Jake. I don't really know if there is a game that it's really gonna be the losers of this game probably will have their coach fired directly on black Monday. And if they winner doesn't, I think once they are one and done in the playoffs, I do think that then they will be getting their notice. 
in their office. But Jake, moving on to your second game, what are you going to be keeping your eyes on? So my second game is the Chicago Bears versus the Green Bay Packers. The Bears have been eliminated from playoff contention. But the Packers are a team that if they win this game and they do make the playoffs, which they are, if they win this, they are in. They are a team that could cause fits in the wild card, if depending on who they face. They're one of those teams that you do not want to go against if you have a bad matchup against them. And some teams do. So what I'm going to be looking at is Justin Fields is going to be auditioning for either his next team or hell, it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Bears keep him and not trade him, which either is a possibility and I would respect either one. But you're going to see this Bears defense trying to stop Aaron Jones, who looks like he's back and healthy fully. You're going to see them go against an offense that has weapons. And it's going to be like, okay, both these quarterbacks have made mistakes throughout the year. Which quarterback is going to make the most, though? I think Fields is going to go off in the rushing game. Because we really don't have too many that can go against him. But <clears throat> Jair is playing. Devondre is fully healthy. And the only people that are out would be A.J. Dillon and Rudy Ford. So one of your starting safeties or a third or a pack or a package safety in three safety packages. Aaron Jones is looks limited in participation in practice, but I think they're just letting him rest a little bit. So, I mean, you have most of your guys. Keyshawn Nixon is questionable, so that could hurt. Jaden Reed is questionable. That will definitely hurt. Christian Watson and Dontavian Wicks are still questionable. So a lot of your weapons on offense are questionable. So, in my opinion, this is going to be more of a... Bears offense versus Packers defense. Because with that many injuries, you could see the Packers struggle. Because the Bears defense has been playing pretty good under their new defensive coordinator. But with that in mind, the Bears defense has some injuries of their own. Jalen Johnson is doubtful. And Kyler Gordon is questionable. That's two of your top cornerbacks right there. Cole Komet is questionable as well. Khalil Herbert is questionable. And Darnell Mooney's out with concussion. And DJ Moore is questionable too. So, I mean, Bears are going to try to play ruin, ruin the Packers season like the Lions last year. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it, but hey, anything's possible. Well, Jake, it, it is actually almost identical to last year with the Lions, where if the Lions do, where when the Lions beat the Packers, it got the Seahawks in, who actually beat the Cardinals, ironically, to get in. The same thing could happen this year with the Bears if they win and Seattle win. 
the Packers will be out and sitting at home for the second straight year. Now, Jake, I do think that it is important to note that Green Bay is in Lambeau and the Bears are two and six away from Chicago. That is at least something to keep in mind. And Jordan Love, Jake, this this is not the same Jordan Love that they faced before. I think that this Jordan Love it has grown a lot more as a passer. I do think he is still a little too inaccurate for my liking. And even with Jalen Johnson doubtful, if Kyler Gordon does play, you do still have Eddie Jackson. I think that if they force Jordan Love into a pick or two, that could be the deciding factor of this game. But Jordan, or uh, excuse me, Justin Fields, I think that Justin Fields, if he is able to get 100 yards rushing in this game and he has a rushing touchdown, I think that might seal the deal for the Bears winning this game. Because I do not think that I think that if the Bears are able to get the ball going in the run game or get the run game going, I do think that it's going to keep this Packers offense on the sideline. It's going to tire out that Packers defense, which as much as you do not like Joe Barry, he did have a pretty good game last week, but this is the exact type of game where Roshan Johnson, Khalil Herbert, if he does play... I do think that this could be a game where we end up seeing an upset. Now, Green Bay is favored by three. I'd stay away from this game overall, just because I do not know if there's really a clear-cut, concise winner in this game, because divisional matchups are weird, and it's hard to beat a team twice. Uh, I don't know. I think this is just going to be a very good viewing experience, or it could be a blowout by either team. We really don't know. But Jake, speaking of the Seahawks, we're going to move on to my second game, which is the Seahawks heading to Glendale, Arizona to take on the Cardinals. And Jake, this is basically, like I said before, this is a game where Seattle, you don't really know if you want to win or lose if you're a Seahawks fan. Because obviously, you wouldn't be upset if you made the playoffs, but at the same time, you wouldn't be really all that happy either. But, Jake, this is not the same Cardinals team that they were before. They may be 4-12, but they are coming off a win against the Eagles. Now, the Eagles have regressed, but Jake, you have to remember, the Eagles at one point were 10-1. And, and Seattle... They need this win, even if they don't make the playoffs, to go into the offseason with a little bit of confidence. I have a I have a theory that if you lose your last game of the season, whenever it may be, whenever it may be, it resonates with you more than you realize, or at least if you are committed to football, it hurts. And it is something that does linger with you. And I think that if you're the Seahawks, the last thing you want is to enter an offseason that you have questions at the quarterback position with a loss. Because then that may influence decisions 
later on in free agency and in the draft. Now, this Cardinals team, Jake, I think what I'm scared of, if I'm a Seahawks fan, is Kyler Murray has looked very good coming off of injury. Now, I think we all pegged the Cardinals as the team that would end up with the number one overall pick, but they've shown a lot more fight. James Conner, Jake, he ran all over that Eagles front, which we we think of as really good. They have six first rounders on that front, and James Conner chewed it up. I think that this Seahawks front coming off of giving up over 200 yards rushing and getting the ball ran on you 46 times, it's going to be a pride thing for this defense. It, because I think if you cannot stop this Cardinals rushing attack, you cannot beat this Cardinals team. And Seattle has played well against Kyler in the past and they've been able to limit his legs. I think that it's going to come down to how much is Kyler a participant in this game and how much is he a cheerleader? Because if he's a participant, you can then pin your ears back and go after him, force him into mistakes, and that could leave the door open for Seattle to win this game and potentially make the playoffs. Yeah, if Seattle wants to keep the playoffs up alive, they have to win this, simple and short and sweet. Now, they're not guaranteed to get in if they do win this. They do have to have a couple other things happen. Obviously, they just have Packers to have lose. the Packers Yeah, they just have to have the Packers lose. But eh, we don't know if that's a guarantee or not. So for this game particularly, I think they're gonna and again, we have said this. They have to stop the run game. But that is the one thing they have not been able to do this year. We saw it against the Steelers. We saw it against the Ravens. We saw it against the Browns. They can stop a passing game fairly well when they want to. And everyone's fully healthy. Stopping the run game has been the Achilles heel for the fucking team all year. And you said it best. James Conner is coming off of a damn good game. You also have Michael Carter, who the Cardinals picked up of, up off of waivers from the Jets. He has been playing pretty good for the Cardinals. Whether it be in the passing game or in the running game. If they're going to want to try to stop this team, they're going to have to score points, get up, because they have the weapons to do it. And at that point, Cardinals will not run the ball as much. They're going to have to throw the ball. You can pressure Kyler more. You can control what happens with that narrative more than what would happen if it was a more balanced game. You have to come out shooting. If you don't, you leave the Cardinals open to do what they do best. And if you let that happen, the door is open to possibilities and you could lose this game. And not to mention, Jake, Seattle is favored by three. A lot of three and three and a half lines, which is letting you know that there's a lot of games where it's a bit of a pick em. Now, granted, you usually get three points for home field, so you would argue that Seattle's then a six-point favorite. But 
again, it's a game that I would probably stay away from just because of the fact that this is a game that the Cardinals could easily win 28-24, 28-21, and no one would be really all that shocked. Now, Jake, let's move on to our final game, the shared game, and this is going to decide the two seed in the AFC and the winner of the AFC East division, Bills heading down to Miami to take on the Dolphins. Jake, what is your thoughts on this game? What are you going to be looking for in this very pivotal, very pivotal game? I am going to be looking for Josh Allen and Tua Tungabailoa to play their asses off. I think Tua's pissed about what happened last week about getting blown out 56-19 against the Ravens. I think the Dolphins team realizes what is at stake with this game. And they're going to be fighting with the vengeance because, again, what happened last week? Josh Allen is looking to win this division again. He is going to show to prove that he is still the best quarterback in this division. The one thing is, can how mistake-free can each one of these quarterbacks play? The Dolphins are coming off a game where they fumbled, and they threw picks. Tua threw two himself. And you're going against a not as a good of a defense as the Ravens, but the Bills still have some star power. And they have people back from injury that in the first matchup, they didn't have. Now, Vaughn Miller is probably going to be a healthy scratch like he was last week. But they only have one guy that is questionable, and that is Mitch Morris, their starting center. Micah Hyde is full participant. DeMar Hamlin, limited, could play, though. Leonard Floyd, full participant. So, who knows? Bradley Chubb being out for the year really hurts this team. You have lost both your star pass rushers two ACL injuries and they're both out. So you're down that Jalen Waddle is still questionable. Raheem Mostert is questioned with a knee and an ankle. Xavier Howard is out and Jerome Baker, your star middle linebacker is questionable too. You are down two big guys already in your defense. You could be down another big guy in Baker. And if you're down Mostert and Waddle, um, I'm not going to say that they're downright going to lose, but they don't have as many ways to score points if those guys are out. So, in my opinion, on the Bills' side, how clean a football can Allen play? And on Miami's side, how is their defense going to play against this Bills offense with the injuries they have. Now, Jake, to me, I think that this game is potentially going to be who makes it to the divisional round. Because I think whoever this team ends up beating 
The seventh seed, I believe, would probably be the second AFC South team potentially that makes it in because I do believe that the Jaguars could still get in. Now, Jake, the Bills could actually still miss the playoffs if they lose and both the Steelers and the, I believe, the Jaguars win. The Bills could be out of the playoffs altogether at 10-7. and seven. Now, if Miami loses, they're guaranteed to be the sixth seed. And like we said earlier, they will head to Arrowhead to take on the Chiefs. But Jake, the Bills did not play all that well last week against New England. Josh Allen was effective in the ground game. But through the air, he was not effective at all. And Miami, they got flat out embarrassed against Baltimore. Now, Jake, you know usually that teams that get embarrassed the week before usually will play better the next week. However, with the Dolphins, what I'm really curious about, Jake, is they're 7-1 and one at home. But can they beat a team like... Buffalo, a team with a winning record, a team that is on a four-game win streak, can they beat a playoff team when it matters most? Because, Jake, the only team that they've beaten with a winning record has been Dallas. And you can say all you want about the refs, whatever. Dallas really did not play all that well to win that game, in my opinion. But I do think, Jake, that both of these teams are coming in with something to prove. Josh Allen's coming in to prove that he can still be Superman and he can still throw on the cape and give you 300 yards passing, four touchdowns, and contribute a little bit in the running game as well. And the Dolphins are looking and coming in with hoping to prove that there's a reason that they should be the two seed in this AFC conference. And a reason why they should have a home playoff game. Now, Jake, I think what I'm going to be keeping an eye on mainly, though, is James Cook. I think that he's the big X factor in this game. We talk about Miami's running game with Raheem Mostert and Devon Achan. James Cook, during their four-game win streak, Jake, had been phenomenal. Now, last week, he was a bit of a no-show, but... He had been contributing both in the running game and the receiving game. I think that if the Bills have any hope of beating the Dolphins, they need to take a page out of what the Ravens did, which we saw Justice Hill in the passing game and how he was effective torching this Dolphins linebacking core, especially with their injuries. Now, Jake, Buffalo is favored by two and a half. I don't know if I would really bet this game because I would just want to sit back and enjoy it. But if you force me to pick a side on it, I think I would probably take Buffalo to cover if and win. But overall, I don't know if I would pick them to win the game. I just think from a betting perspective, the side would be Buffalo. But Jake, let's get your picks for our five games who do you have winning? Like we said before, I went one and four last week. You went two and three. We need to redeem ourselves. No shit. So to start off, I have the Texans beating the Colts because like we both said, 
It's a quarterback-driven league. They have the better quarterback, plain and simple. So Texas beating the Colts. I have the Saints beating the Falcons because I think Arthur Smith is too much of an arrogant asshat to try to save his job. Then I have my Packers beating the Bears, barely, but I think the Packers have enough firepower to come out on top. Then I'm going against Seattle this time, and I'm going to pick the upstart Cardinals and have them come off uh, Kyler Murray playing his ass off, James Conner and the rest of that team beating the Eagles, and I think they beat the Seahawks this week and ruin their playoff hopes. Then I have the Bills in a Herculean effort from Josh Allen beating the Dolphins. All right, Texans, Packers, Cardinals, Saints, Bills. Jake, I am also going to take the Texans because I am getting the better quarterback. C.J. Stroud is a better quarterback than Gardner Minshew, and I think D'Amico Ryans and Shane Steichen, it is a bit of a draw as far as offensive versus defensive coach, but because of the better quarterback, give me Houston. I am going to take the Bears in an upset. I think that Justin Fields is going to be able to run around against this Packers linebacking core and D-line, and he's going to be able to make plays to DJ Moore. He, it, if he had Darnell Mooney, I'd feel a little bit more confident in the, the pick, but nevertheless, I am going to take Chicago. I am going to take the Seahawks to beat the Cardinals and make it into the playoffs barely, just because of the fact that I just think that with how well Geno has been playing, they got to win one of these games. And I think that while they probably will be one and done in the playoffs, I do think they will make the playoffs. I am going to take the Saints over the Falcons because I just don't trust Arthur Smith to not lean on Tyler Algier and Jonu Smith over his star weapons. And I think Derek Carr is going to be able to play just well enough to win. And I'm going to take the Dolphins to beat the Bills. I think that the Dolphins, this is now or never of going to show if they can actually be a Super Bowl contender. I think if they beat the Bills, that is a huge step forward in proving that. And I think they're going to pull it off in Miami. Give me the Dolphins. But Jake, that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. Thank you all for listening. You can check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And for Jake Miller, I'm Adam Skirko. We'll see you next time. Take care. Take it easy.